0: Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus no matter what you're going through today. I think in a new year, we Christians need to learn how to tell our story better. In fact, I think we tend to live by the wrong story. Yeah, we claim to know the story of God and what he's about here in the world, but I think we tell a cheap, version of the story. How do you know you're living in victory if you don't know the plot line of the story? So that's what we're going to look at today. Now today, about two thirds of the way through this message, there's a little video that we show and you won't be able to see that on the audio version here, but there's a really good narration. So I think you'll get the gist of it, but I'll link the video to you in the podcast episode show notes. So if you're a subscriber, you'll get that and you'll have a link to it but let's listen and let's learn to live the better story. Well these do continue to be stormy times. I know we thought 2020 was going to end and then, oh, everything's all better, but no, it's been crazy. Did you see the meme this week that somebody posted, you know, hey, dear 2021, I've tried the seven-day subscription free trial and I'm no longer interested. Please cancel my subscription to 2021. Did you just, no, am I the only one, (laughs) sorry? Yeah, it's been a difficult beginning of the year already and, you know, storms will, will blow, won't they? They will blow. Storms are just going to come. And Jesus says the only house that stands through the storm is the house that's built on the solid rock. And so I just, I really want you to be anchored hard to the solid rock. I don't want there to be any gap between you and the rock at all. And so I thought it would be really good if I offered just a little crash course on meditating on God's word tonight. Because over and over and over again, Scripture challenges us to meditate on God's Word, you know, hide His Word in our hearts, let the Word dwell richly in you, and my experience is that most Christians don't even know what that means don't know how to do it. And so meditation on the word is not some mystical, magical, weird chanting in the dark, you know, that kind of thing. We're going to go over some basic, just some basic principles on what biblical meditation is. And we're going to practice it together tonight in this room at six o'clock this afternoon. Uh, I think it's going to be really good and very helpful, and I think you're going to come away with a greater depth of understanding of a particular verse that we'll meditate on tonight and an an easy way. So bring your Bible and bring something to write on because I'm going to want you to take notes. Uh, This is going to be a really good one-hour basic intro to biblical meditation tonight. Here's the catch. You do have to RSVP uh, because we want to make sure that we've got room for everybody and that we're doing everything uh, all well for you. So the way you do that is a little bit different. You just go to our website, theorchard.life, and do this right now. If you think you'll come, do this right now. You just pull the little menu out like you do on every web page. Normally for Sunday morning, you reserve a seat right here where it says, you know, creatively reserve a seat Uh, but for this you go down to the classes menu and uh, you just hit the little down arrow on classes Maybe you got to tap it twice. There we go. And this will be a crash course. It's going to be the crash course on biblical meditation. So just hit the little crash courses button, and uh, that will take you right to the description of what this class is all about. And all you got to do is just tap that little button to reserve your spot. And we would love to reserve a spot for you. I really would love for you to join me. This evening, right here at six o'clock, uh, to learn the basics, just the basics, just the easy overview on what biblical meditation is really like. So I hope that's helpful to you. Sign up for it right now. Do it right now, uh, and uh, and come this evening uh, because the storms will blow. Right, they're going to continue to blow. All indications are that 2021 is going to be just as stormy as 2020, and there's going to be storms. And I'm amazed. I'm amazed at how the storms have taken shape. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm just looking at this first week of the new year and I'm shocked. I'm shocked at what I have seen. I'm shocked at the way Georgia, a Southern state, voted, and in the runoff election, delivered this full on Democrat domination to our nation. You're welcome. (laughs) That's what we've done, and it just seems weird. I mean, it seems like to me, it seems like the way you and I think isn't the way the world thinks at all anymore the way that you and i think we have just a different set of everything that that forms our thoughts and it seems like everyone in the world thinks it used to be that this nation founded under god with biblical godly principles it used to be that we were all kind of going the same direction but now now america has changed am i right America is a different place. It's not the same as our 1950s, 60s, and 70s memories might inform us. It's a very, very, very different place. How can it be so different all of a sudden? How can it have changed so much? I mean, don't we remember what we were founded on? Don't we believe in absolute truth anymore? Don't we study history anymore? Don't we know what this all even is? How has it come to this? Look at the media. Look at art, look at culture, look at sports. I mean, everywhere you look, things have changed. And I think I know part, at least, of the reason why. I think we, we Christians have tried and tried to to tell our story. If they can just hear our story, if they just know our story, then maybe they'll agree with us. Maybe they'll go the same way as we go. And so I think, I think they've heard our story. Here's my, my view is they've heard our story. And they have found our story, my story, your story, to be not very compelling. And they're over it. They've heard our version of the truth, and they've moved on. They don't want to deal with it anymore. And it's really, if you look in the media, if you look everywhere, you'll see that our story is kind of a joke now. How can this story, this story that you and I have surrendered to, that we live our lives by, how can this story now just be a joke, a footnote? How can it be worthless the way it seems to be now? The world does not value our story at all anymore, and, and, and I think I know why. I, I think, frankly, I think we don't value our story anymore. I mean, our story doesn't seem to change us. Why would, he, why would we expect it to change the world? Really, I mean, seriously, the divorce rate among Christians is no different than the divorce rate among non-Christians. The addiction rate among Christians is no different than the addiction rate among non-Christians. Is our story even changing us? I mean, greed. Think about greed. I mean, we will lie, cheat, and steal to get a quick buck just as quickly as anyone else. Our story is so non-compelling that you and I won't even talk about it anymore. The average Christian today has won zero lost people to Christ in their entire lifetime. Our story is so worthless, we don't even want to talk about it. We don't even tell the story anymore. So how can we expect it to change our world? Is our story a bad story? Do we have the wrong story to begin with? You see, actually, I believe that the story that we are to be telling is the greatest story ever dreamed up. It's got the biggest conflict in the universe. It's got the higher stakes than any other story anywhere. It's got a compelling motivation that ought to move all of us, and it's got a better, more satisfying outcome than any story that's ever been told. The problem is not the story. I think the problem is our version of the story. I think that you and I have fallen into a trap of telling a very, very poor retelling of the story. I think in our world of instant gratification, I think that we've sought to simplify the story, make it easily, you know, sound biteable. And I think we've dumbed it down to the point where it's almost unrecognizable. I think the version of the story we tell is an oversimplified, weak, garbage, frankly, version of the real story. Let me illustrate just really quickly. Now, please bear with me. I drew this illustration using a computer. So, clip art, okay? You love clip art? All right. Is anybody with me so far? Okay, so maybe I'm stepping on your toes already. I hope so. So let me illustrate. Here's the story I think we we tell. This is the story that most everyone believes that we believe. So here's the earth. God created the earth. It's beautiful, everything in it. And on the earth, he placed me. There's me right there. Like my clip art of me? So there's me, there's you, and we're on the earth here, and and what we do here in this world is we live this timeline. We live this lifelong timeline that we have. It's got a beginning, it's got an end, and we walk this timeline, and we, in our timeline, we try to do the best we can to kind of stay above the line, right? I mean, we want to do more good things than bad things, right? Or 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 maybe it's not about works, okay? It's about grace, so we want to, you know, believe the right things and not believe the wrong things we want to pray the right prayers not pray the wrong prayers So we just want to make sure we pray, pray the right prayers and so if we, if we the story goes, if we live this timeline then at the end of our timeline then depending on what we've done in this life we, there'll be a day where we're judged and we're assigned a destination we will go to heaven or we will go to hell yep, that's the story I believe this is the story that's told. Most people who don't know the story believe that this is our story. Whoops. And I'll bet there's some people in the room going, well, I thought that was the story. But the problem with this story is this is not the story of the Bible. You can find this story being told in the world, but you don't find this story told in the Bible. Yeah, This story is not compelling. In fact, look at the story, just a second. Who is this story about? Right, me. This is a very small, me-centered, frankly, narcissistic story that we tend to tell. Somehow, our story has devolved, it's morphed, it's become disfigured, and somehow, this is the first blank on your page, somehow, we've drifted into a cheap story. It's a cheap story. It's not really worth telling. No wonder it doesn't change anybody. It's not a story about them. It's a story about me. And that's not the story that the Bible teaches, and that's not the story that Jesus teaches. And I want to make a promise to you right here on the front end, okay? Is everybody listening to me? I want to make a promise to you. This pastor will not be guilty of preaching a cheap story. Okay, I will not preach a cheap gospel. It might hurt your feelings sometimes. You might not like it. It may not sell as many books. You know, I may not be able to draw quite as big of a crowd, but I will not waste your time preaching a gospel that's centered on you. Okay, I will, will, let me say it this way. I will love you enough to show your dying soul the incredible beauty and glory of God as much as I can. That's what I believe this is all about, and that's what I'm here to do. The whole idea of this series is to wake us up. It's to shake off this addled COVID zombie, including the wrong story, and to help us catch a fresh new vision of what the story really is because the real story is so much better than this cheap facsimile. It's so much better because the real story, if you really understand it, is universe changing. The real story will change everything about everything, including you. If you really catch a vision of the real story, it'll change your life, it'll change your marriage, it'll change the way you raise your kids, it'll change the way you work, the way you spend money, the way you vote, the way you do everything in your life. It'll change your purpose, it'll change your plans, it'll change your past, and it'll change your future. It changes everything about you when you catch a vision of the much better story. Don't you want that? Don't you want to be in on the much better story? Well, what is the story? So I don't know. Let's let's do this. If you're gonna if you're gonna kind of go to the Bible and you're gonna try to kind of catch an idea of what the story is all about, where do you think we would go? How about the beginning? Why don't we go to page one? Let's just look at page one of the story and let's just see what it's all about. Page one, first sentence. Here it is: Genesis one in the beginning, wait a minute, maybe this isn't about me, hold on a minute, in the beginning, it doesn't say me, who is this story about? Okay, let me just try this again, who is this story about? God, in the beginning, God, boy, we learn a lot about the central figure of the story right here. Number one, this is about God. Number two, God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. So everything belongs to him. Everything was designed by him. Everything was created by him. It's all his. And if you read on in the story, read chapter one, read chapter two, you'll find this description of the kingdom of God created by God. It's a beautiful picture. You know, the, the, the story describes the kingdom of God as a lush, beautiful garden. And in that garden, it says that the garden is flowing with uh, rivers of clean, fresh water. It describes the produce in the garden as delicious fruit. It's got all kinds of fruit trees. So it's vibrant and alive and nourishing. It, it's, it's beautiful beautiful. And it's in that garden that every animal comes and, and is seen by the pinnacle of all of God's creation, the absolute apex. God says, let us make man and woman in our own image, right? And he puts us in the garden and we actually bring order to it we name everything we categorize everything we're charged with bringing order to it all because when it comes under our authority it's coming under God's authority because we're in line with his authority and the kingdom of God is this beautiful peaceful place there is no conflict no strife no x's No Facebook posts, no social unrest, no racism or injustice. You know, there's no war, there's no poverty. God and man walk together in the garden in the cool of the day. What? Can you imagine a place of such peace and beauty? That we could walk with God in His beautiful garden, His beautiful kingdom. This is not a story about us. Next mic on your page, it's a story about the king and his kingdom. This whole story is not centered on me and you, it's a story about a, a great king and his wonderful, most peaceful kingdom that he creates. And that's the way the story goes for a few chapters. But then in Genesis 3, the peace is broken. The unity between God and man is broken. All of a sudden, rebellion enters the world, rebellion against God, because all of a sudden there's this thing that rises in the humans, right? The enemy comes along and convinces us that maybe we should be the center of the story. Maybe this ought to be about us. The words of the enemy are self-centering words. Isn't that amazing? If we've drifted into a bad story that's self-centered, we've drifted into Satan's story. Hello? And we've called it the Christian story. So he comes along and he says, no, this should be all about you. This should be your story. I mean, you'd be a better God than God. So why don't you eat of the one tree you're not supposed to eat from and then you'll have everything. (laughs) And we fell for it. We chose to live a life of pride, of arrogance, and these are not part of the kingdom of God. So we rose up against God, rebelled against Him, and we effectively created our own kingdom. We separated off from God's kingdom. And God cursed the world and the people right the beginning of god's judgment right there because because a good king always pursues justice am i right i mean good authorities good presidents good uh governors good mayors good chiefs of police they pursue justice they make sure crimes are punished am i right am i right and so he's a good king he pursues justice He punishes crimes, and we had committed a great crime against the king. But there's a promise in this curse that one day there would be a deliverer, someone who would come along and crush the head of the serpent and reunite the kingdom of God. And pretty quickly, God begins to lay the groundwork to complete that promise, doesn't he? You get over to Genesis 12, and God chooses a man. And he says, hey, I'm going to make, let me make you some promises. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And it's through you, ultimately, I'm going to send the deliverer for his people. And so in Abraham, he begins to build a family family. This fatherless, sorry, this sonless father, he has no children of his own. God begins to give him children, and so he begins to have a family and then a tribe and then many tribes, and they become a nation of people. And God says, it's this chosen nation. I'm going to send this deliverer, this head crusher. I'm going to complete the story through this deliverer. And even though, even though God miraculously, divinely, he he delivers his people who were in captivity out of Egypt, you know, they cross that water and then they get on the other side and they, what do they do? They continue to rebel, right? They continue to sin against him. And so they are doomed now to wander in the wilderness for 40 years Generation comes and goes and so after 40 years God miraculously delivers them into their promised land the land he had promised them long 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 ago and they get into the land and then what do they do they immediately rebel in fact there's this long long multi-generational series of bad king after bad king and the prophets God sends the prophets along to say hey hey come Back, Come back. Just stop with your wandering. Stop with your rebelling. Just, if you just come back, God's going to fulfill his promise. He won't forget his promise. There will be a deliverer. The kingdom will be reunited if you'll just come back. But they don't. They continue to rebel against him. And the story seems to end in disaster. The people are exiled, judged and exiled into Babylon. The capital city of Israel is burned. And it seems like it ends with a little bitty rebuilding and that's kind of it. It's over. And God is silent for hundreds of years. So so if you want to know how the story ends, where should you go next? We went to the beginning, so where should we go? Maybe we should go to the beginning again, because all of a sudden, several hundred years later, the story seems to get going again, and the gospel writers pick up on the story already in progress right and so let's look at the beginning again let's look to gospel writer mark because most scholars believe that his was the very earliest gospel written so let's look and see what mark says at the very beginning of his gospel he says this is the good news about oh, I was supposed to see me right here right i mean cheap story says the good news about me I've heard evangelists say, Man, I was my life was a mess, it was a disaster. And then I opened this word and I found out it was all about me. And I want to go, that's bull. Stop believing that lie. It's not a story about you, it's a story about a king and his kingdom. And so this is the good news about the king, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet isaiah is written so look at this right here we see that the story is still going it's in progress the prophets have been talking about it it's already in progress and here's what isaiah wrote he said said this he said there's a messenger sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way who is that messenger John the Baptist right and he John is a voice shouting in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord's coming clear the road for him so the story begins again and it's still all about this king this king who's made this promise that he's going to send his son to deliver us and reunite the kingdom So this is a huge clue into what the story is really all about. And the clue is this, next blank on your page, that the hero of the story is Jesus. You hear me? Cheap storyteller, the hero of the real story is not you. It's Jesus. This is a story about him. All of the Old Testament points forward to Jesus. All of the New Testament either tells the story of Jesus or it points back to how Jesus wants to work his way into and through your life. That's the message of the entire scripture. It's all about Jesus, the hero, arriving on the scene. So if you're used to the cheap version of the story, this is the part where you would expect The hero to arrive and say, Now, here's what you need to believe. Here's how you need to pray uh, because you want to go there one day. You want to arrive in heaven, right? So here's how you go to heaven. That's what you would expect him to say. You need to go to the kingdom. But that's not what Jesus says. In fact, he shows up on the scene and you see him introduce his thesis statement of everything he teaches right at the beginning. Here's what he says just a few verses later in Mark 1, 15. He says, the time is promised by God that has been promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Another translation says the kingdom of God is at hand. Another translation says the kingdom of God is Here, The kingdom of God is here. It's near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. What's the good news? That the kingdom of God is here. Do you see this? God is telling us a much better story. It's not a story about me going there. Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God has come here. It's not about us working through a timeline and hoping to be assigned the right destination. It's about the kingdom of God coming here. It has arrived in the person of Jesus, and it's here to change everything. This is a very different story. So a few years ago, we studied this story very intently. In fact, I kind of preached through this a couple of times several years ago. And we used a video from the Bible Project to illustrate this story really well. And I thought it was so good. I know you may have seen it before, but I thought it was so good. I wanted to bring it back. It's not long. It's about a five or six minute video. But it is great at explaining this whole idea. So why don't you have a look?
1: which was like the hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God again. But not so fast, because the temple also creates a problem. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty, but human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results.
2: So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird.
1: to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap
0: once again. Come on, that's pretty good, isn't it? That's pretty, I mean, that's a pretty good way to tell that story. That is so much better than our cheap story, isn't it? It's so much better because it's about a king and his kingdom, and it's about restoring the kingdom where it belongs. Here. It's not about us going there, it's about a king who has come here. And I know I know that leaves a big question for some of you in your mind. Okay, Steve, you're talking about heaven and earth, but are you, you're not talking about hell? You've left hell out of this equation. Do you not believe in hell? Steve? I just, boy, I say, look around. Uh, hell is pretty obvious all around us now. Is it? Is it not? I mean, hell is the absence of God's kingdom. that That's what hell is. It's where God's kingdom is not reigning. And so that's why when you look at the story, and you go back to the very beginning, Genesis 1, 1, You see that God created the heavens and the earth. It doesn't say that God created the heavens and the earth and hell. He created the heavens. He's a good God, a good king. He created the heavens and the earth. Hell doesn't show up at the beginning of the story. Hell is something that seems to come along later in the story. Oh, it's there. It's all through there, but it seems to arrive later. Later. You see, I believe that hell is sort of like a byproduct of the separated kingdom of man. It's the place where God does not reign. And so I think if you look around, you'll see that hell is not only a destination, but it's also here and now. Look at the way James talks about the tongue. James is the brother of Jesus, and here's what he says about the tongue. He says, Among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. The tongue is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. In James' mind, hell is very, very real, and it's here now. I mean, I think about all of the things that are under the influence of hell. Watch the news, and you'll see that hell is just about everywhere you look. Is hell something that we created? Is hell a byproduct of our sin? You see, I believe that hell is where the kingdom of God doesn't rule, so I believe that God hates hell okay he hates hell and he's out to destroy it his whole goal is to move into this world and he does that through me and you and to get the hell out of this world that's his whole goal here to restore his kingdom here on earth and so I look at the things that are that are influenced by caused by controlled by hell I think of I think of the plagues on our humanity I'm not just talking about the know COVID plague, but let's just think about let's think about the awful plague of sex trafficking. You know, Atlanta is the nation's capital for sex trafficking. It's an awful, awful, terrible, has devastating effects on people. And God hates sex trafficking. And so do you. Right? And so God doesn't only want to destroy sex trafficking, but he's out to destroy lust, the root of that. He's he's out to destroy the exploitation of one human being for the gratification of another, right? That's what he wants to. He wants to destroy lust, the root of it, or another plague, another scourge on humanity, racism. God hates racism, and every Christian does too, and if you claim to be a Christian, and you're a racist, you are no Christian. You are no follower of Christ. God hates racism, and he's not just out to destroy racism, but he's out to destroy pride and rage. You know, pride tells us that one human being can be better or above another human being. And he's out to destroy that. He hates that. He wants to get the hell out of this world. And you know what? Here's the good news. Here's why the better story is so compelling. Because every lost person wants that also. Right? I don't care who you are. Everybody wants to get rid of these awful, hellish plagues on humanity. Don't they? I mean, even your most liberal left-wing nut of a brother-in-law who comes over at Thanksgiving and spouts his political views, he wants the same things God wants. He wants to end hell on this earth. This is a compelling story. It's a much better story. And what this story does for us is it takes us off of a timeline that it's not about what we believe or what we do, but what this story does is it makes us part of his much better story. We are now not just trying to keep our head down and hope we don't get in too much trouble and obey all the rules and pray the right way and believe the right things. No, what this tells us is, next blank on your page, that we are soldiers of light invading the darkness. That's who God makes us. He makes us part of an invading army out to kick the hell out of this world. Man, can I get an amen on that. Why are we telling the wrong story? This is our story, right? Paul clarifies it all in one of my favorite verses. It's Ephesians 1.10. He says, this is the plan. In other words, the story has a plan. Here's the outcome. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth that's his plan and you get to be part of that you get to be part of the king fully restoring his kingdom where it belongs stop christian stop settling for the cheap story stop believing the lie that this is all about you getting to a destination that's a byproduct but that's not the story that's a very self-centered satanic story Instead, realize and take your position as an army soldier invading the darkness. Complete your compelling story. And last blank, live the better story. Live the better story. Stop being scared. Stop being chicken. But live as an overcoming victor in God's war against the rebellious kingdom that's who you're designed to be god i pray that we would stop settling for this cheap cheap version of the story god that we would quit thinking it's all about us lord it's lulled us to sleep this cheap story it's made us think that it's something that it's not and it's inconsequential but god we know that you are the great king that will restore your kingdom Oh, God, let us have a vision for it, a heart for it, a longing for it, Father. And let us live the story that you are telling.